Hey, welcome back to Richard Bay Talk. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. How come there's no adjective connected to Kwanzaa? Can, Albert, can you think of something with a K that would go with Kwanzaa? Uh, killer Kwanzaa. Killer, I have a killer Kwanzaa. Did you have a good New Year's and a new Christmas? Because uh, I was up in New York during that time. Everything was good? Nice and quiet, yes. Very good. Very good. Right. Happy well, same to you. Happy New Year. Let's hope this year is a good one. Uh, well, when I was in New York... Um, I mean, one of the things I did was I took the train to Philadelphia to see Rosemary Henry, who was one of my producers. Actually, she was the executive producer on People Are Talking, which was the best show uh, that I was ever a part of. And, of course, I got to sit on the couch and interview the big guests. But she's the person that had to book those guests. So I went to Philly primarily to see her. Um, but I also visited um, this, the... American Museum of the Revolution. There it is, okay? And I, and it, it's fairly new. It just opened a few years ago, and it's really an, an incredible museum. About, I know a lot about the revolution, unlike Donald Trump, who thinks he knows a lot about the Civil War, and we'll get to that later. Um, but one of the things was they have these guys, the tour guides walking around dressed as uh, uh, Continental soldiers, and they have muskets, they are so long, and they are so heavy. You know, you watch these movies sometimes, uh, military movies that are in the early 18th century, uh, I mean, or, or in the early part of the 19th century, and they're throwing these guns. They're 10 to 12 pounds. Anyway, I highly recommend that if you get down to Philadelphia. Now, the place where I was staying in New York with my dear friend Magda and, of course, Kyle, Magda came down with COVID and tested positive the whole week. So this was the first time, actually, I had a COVID test. And I went out and even though I was in that house with her for a week, here was my COVID test right before the New Year because I was going to a New Year's Eve party and I wanted to make sure I wouldn't infect anybody. So I was negative and I took uh, several tests and I was negative on all of them. And maybe it's because I've been vaccinated five times, and now as COVID is making a resurgence and RSV and the flu and everything's coming down at once, um, there was a new study that just came out that said the more vaccinations you have before the first time you get COVID will lower your chances of getting long-term COVID, which is probably the most fearful part of the disease. So um, if you have three or more vaccinations, it said you have a 78% chance less of getting long-term COVID than somebody who isn't vaccinated when they get COVID. Because, of course, the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting COVID, but that's one of the advantages. It's long-term COVID that I was always scared of. Okay, so in the course of this week, uh, there were a lot of other things that people seem to be scared of, uh, and some of them for good reason. Now, Elise Stefanik is a representative from upstate New York. She's the duplicitous, devious diva who um, led those three college professors who didn't do a good job answering the questions, but she led them into a trap that has eventually led to two of them having to resign. Anyway, this is Elise Stefanik, this little dirtbag on 
uh, January 6th, uh, right after the insurrection. Take a look at this. Truly tragic day for America. Americans will always have the freedom of speech and the constitutional right to protest, but violence in any form is absolutely unacceptable. All right, violence in any form. There's more to that clip. I don't know why it didn't play it. And she said anybody who engaged in violence should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Now, this week, we've heard something new from, well, you hear something new from him all the time, but a new phrase uh, Donald Trump has been using over and over and over again, that those people who were arrested on prosecuted and convicted on for their January 6th actions are hostages. There's over 800 of them and there's several hundred more that are awaiting trial. So 800 have been convicted in courts of law, but Trump calls them hostages, promises to pardon the, all of them if he is elected. And now... This term has glommed on to the other maggots. Here is Elise Stefanik on television this weekend. We're hearing today, former President Trump has referred to January 6th as a, quote, beautiful day. Just this weekend, he referred to some of those who are serving time for having stormed the Capitol as, quote, hostages. Do you still think it was a tragic day? Do you think that the people who stormed the Capitol should be held responsible to the full extent of the I law. I have concerns about the treatment of January 6 hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Uh, and I believe that we're seeing the weaponization of the federal government against not just President Trump, but we're seeing it against conservatives. We're seeing it against Catholics. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud to serve on the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Government. Yeah, isn't it a shame how they're rounding up all the Catholics? How about all those Catholic priests who molested little boys? How many of them were not prosecuted? I mean, poor Elise. With that expensive Ivy League Harvard education that she experienced, she doesn't know the meaning of the word hostage. What is a hostage? It's a person taken by force to secure the taker's demands. You know, a kidnapper, give me a million dollars, or I've got your kid, or that Chinese boy out in the wilderness who was taken hostage by cyber criminals. That's what a hostage is. These people are criminals, convicted through the court process and the presentation of evidence. So, in her last hearing, Elise Stefanik didn't understand the meaning of the word intifada, which is not a synonym for genocide. It, it means shaking off in Arabic, and it's an uprising against the government, and it's been used in so many other Middle Eastern places where there aren't any Jews. So, she is this deceiver. She, she is somebody that doesn't understand neither. I, listen, it's obvious Trump doesn't understand what the word hostage means. But somebody with an Ivy League Harvard education, and she, just because Trump said it, she's become a little parrot now. Hostage, hostage, they're hostages. 
Why is this happening? Why are all these people folding? There's an article in the uh, New York Times here uh, about to gain endorsements, Trump carefully deploys both flattery and fear. How does he make them fall in line? Well, he, he goes on X and he says something bad about somebody and, it, and, it, and he's finished. Listen to some of the things that he said. He said, uh, uh, Ted Cruz, he's after. Ted Cruz shouldn't even exist. He said, they always bend the knee. He, he single-handedly destroyed the campaign of someone who was running for the Republican uh, leader in the House. Uh, and what happens afterwards? So fear? You don't think there's fear? Have you forgotten what happened to Lindsey Graham after he stood in the Senate and said he'd had enough of Trump? Well, here's something to refresh your memory. So we are in the airport with Lindsey Graham here, guys. He's being called a traitor. You are a traitor, Lindsey Graham. A traitor. Yeah, you pissed on that oath. He is being escorted out of the airport right now, or at least out of here. Welcome to the new America, Lindsay. All right, it wasn't the rest of his life because he recanted and he rejoined the flock. He was a heretic who confessed his sins. Um, it's, it is almost like a religion. And those people who deviate from the adoration of Trump are like heretics. And they get... They get, they get the mob to come around them. They get the MAGA people who will pledge to vote for any kind of candidate that says anything that runs against them. They will, even, they will swat their homes and uh, make false police reports so the police come in and disrupt their home life. Uh, that's what happens when a Republican takes a stand against Trump. I mean, look at, look at Liz Cheney. And she was in one of the most powerful Republican leadership positions. It's a religion. And any division, deviation from the religion is heresy. But now it's even gone further. Trump posted this video on Truth Social. To be fair, I should point out he didn't create the video. But he, pointed, but he uh, posted it on his site. He got an endorsement in that article. It says Trump has a list of people, and uh, some of them, after their names, they have an E, which means endorsement, and they have an S, where they only said, I support him. And he says, I want more E's and less S's. Well, obviously, Trump thinks he got an, 
he got a, a, a holy E, a divine E. Take a look at this. Trump, God had to have somebody willing to go into the den of vipers, call out the fake news for their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of vipers is on their lips and yet stop. So God made Trump. God said, I need somebody who will be strong and courageous, who will not be afraid or terrified of the wolves when they attack. A man who cares for the flock, a shepherd to mankind who won't ever leave nor forsake them. I need the most diligent worker to follow the path and remain strong in faith and know the belief of God and country. Oh, come on. Is your stomach turning yet? And wait a second. This is Trump who called Ron DeSantis, gave him the nickname Ron DeSanctimonious after... God endorsed Ron DeSantis? I mean, which God? is God is so fickle, you know? One day he endorses Trump, then he endorses DeSantis. Actually, DeSantis was first. Uh, is it the same God? Here's Ron DeSantis's commercial. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said... I need a protector. So God made a fighter. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, kiss his family goodbye, travel thousands of miles for no other reason than to serve the people, to save their jobs, their livelihoods, their liberty, their happiness. So God made a fighter. Uh, many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Matthew 24, 12. I mean, I've, I've, do you ever remember a campaign where, where God came down and endorsed certain candidates? I mean, the other candidates are really missing out on a lot. I mean, uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean... Why doesn't he have the the uh, endorsement of Vishnu? Can we look at Vishnu for a minute? Vishnu, the grand protector. Uh, is he smiling on Vivek? Uh, he's the great protector. Is he protecting Vivek? And then there's another god that's out there nobody has claimed yet. That's Thor. I mean, uh, Thor could really hammer it home. Next picture, please. There is... Um, Oh, it's Trump. Oh, Trump not only has the Christian God, he's also got the hammer of Thor. And as of yet, the Dalai Lama, picture please, has has not endorsed anybody. Do you, but do you know what's happening in China? The communist Chinese government has changed the name of Tibet. You 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 don't say Tibet anymore. It's something like Xinjiang or and they have told the Dalai Lama, that they will be the ones to pick the next um, Dalai Lama after he passes away. You know, usually they go around and they interview all these young boys, and one of them is the incarnation of the Dalai Lama. But now, now it's a, it's going to be a government service <laughs> where they go around and say, "Okay, you you're a you're a good commie. You're going to be the." Uh, the next uh, Dalai Lama. Ah, oh, this is, this is just madness. And there's even more. Someone very dear to me 
suffers from mental illness. And quite frequently, he says, he hears voices from God. But so does the uh, majority leader of the Republican Party, Mike Johnson. In fact, and, and, you know, it's one thing to pray and I get a feeling about God. He literally says he hears God talking to him. He's got a phone line to God, a WhatsApp to God. And God also tells him what to do politically. Uh, but literally, listen to this. God spoke to him. He heard the voice of God. And God told him exactly what he should do to become Speaker of the House. He didn't want to be Speaker. He, he thought he would, you know, be a Speaker to one of the other candidates. But that God chose him to be Moses and lead the Republicans uh, across the Red Sea. I mean... It's, it, 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 it's just crazy. Now, a lot of the, or several of the candidates have gotten into trouble when they were asked questions about the Civil War. Of course, Nikki Haley uh, answered when she was asked about the reasons for the Civil War. She left out slavery, which was, of, of course, the foundational reason that created the dissension between the states. Ron DeSantis had been a high school teacher. His students used to mock him because he would uh, downplay the role of slavery in the Civil War and say, oh, it was all about economics. Yeah, yeah, slaves were property, and you were going to lose your property, and that's about economics. Uh, but his own students would mock him for that. So Donald Trump has was—I uh, don't know whether he was asked about it or he just volunteered— but um, he gave his opinion about the Civil War and um, what could have happened. Take a look at this. I was thinking to myself because I was uh, reading something and I said, this is something that could have been negotiated, you know? And it was just for all those people to die and they died viciously. That was a vicious, vicious war. And uh, in many ways, look, they're all this... Nothing nice about it, but boy, that was a that was a tough one for our country. But I think it's uh, you know Abraham Lincoln. Of course, if you negotiated it, you probably wouldn't even know who Abraham Lincoln was. 
uh, he would have been president, but he would have been president. He would have been, he wouldn't have been the Abraham Lincoln. Would have been different, but that would have been okay. It's, uh, it would have been a, a thing that, and I, I know it very well. I know the whole process that they went through, and they just couldn't get along. And that would have been something that could have been negotiated, and they wouldn't have had that problem. But it was a tell, it was a hell of a time. Do you remember when? Republicans used to tout themselves as the party of Lincoln. Do you remember the Republican conventions where they would have uh, big uh, pictures of Lincoln up on the stage? Do you remember the Republicans saying, uh, actually, over and over again, which is not untrue, that it was the Republicans that led the anti-slavery effort um, after the Civil War, and that the Democrats were all Southerners. I mean, that's true. It flipped later on when Nixon came up with the Southern strategy, but uh, it is true. Republicans used to be proud of Abraham Lincoln and what he did to preserve the Union and to free enslaved people. Trump says we could have negotiated it. Ah, if I'd been there, we could have made a deal. Yeah. Uh, Liz Cheney said, oh, which part would you have negotiated? The slavery part? The secession part? Um, would you have negotiated Lincoln's efforts to preserve the Union? Which part would you negotiate? And as far as compromise is concerned, <laughs> hell, the U.S. Congress was compromising ever since the, the Constitution was created. The three-fifths compromise, which uh, gave Southern states representation based on three-fifths of each slave, that was a compromise. The banning of the importation of slaves in 1810, that was a compromise. They gave them a lot of years to to, uh, you know, uh, to continue that middle passage. There was the Missouri Compromise of 1820, uh, the Compromise of 1850, the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which led to bloody Kansas and a, a preview of the Civil War in Kansas as pro-slavery and anti-slavery Americans actually killed each other. John Brown um, went into a town and slaughtered everybody in the town, and they slaughtered John Brown's town. And, and then, of course, we had John Brown. I, compromise? What, what would you negotiate, Mr. Trump? And as in that old Lone Ranger joke, Negotiate? What do you mean, we, white man? <laughs> I mean, what are you negotiating for people who are enslaved? And if you think slavery was not about that, Alexander Stevens, the vice president of the Confederacy, proudly said, we are the first nation in the world to rest upon the foundation of of the supremacy of the white race. And he said that just months after secession. And to give you another negotiation, are you kidding me? Six Southern states had seceded from the Union before Lincoln even became president. Back in those days, 
The inauguration was in March. It wasn't in January. Six states had already seceded. Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Florida had already seceded. So who are you going to negotiate with? Plus, it was, of course, uh, the South that fired first on Union forces uh, beginning the war at Fort Sumter. Also, if you're ever in Charleston, that's a great place to go out and visit, too, historically. I've been out there. All right. So uh, the <laughs> knowing something about history is important. But Republicans don't care. They just want to rewrite it the way they're trying to rewrite the civil rights movement, the way they're using Dennis Prager's cartoons uh, to have Columbus tell the Native Americans, oh, you're better off as a slave than you would be if I killed you. <laughs> Another point of madness in this country, madness, madness. Of course, this week, everybody has been focused on the 14th Amendment and the two states so far that have taken Trump off the ballot. The 14th Amendment, initiated after the Civil War, primarily focused upon um, keeping uh, Confederate traitors from running uh, for uh, government office. Okay, so it's, it's now going to the Supreme Court. So let me, just, let me just shave this down a little bit to make it simpler. No person shall hold any office, civil or military, under the United States who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But the Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. All right, so now this Trump has appealed this case to the Supreme Court. I mean, it's pretty clear what that means. Aid and comfort, you don't even have to be, you know, part of the insurrection. As, but we know Trump was. You have to give aid and comfort to those people who tried to overthrow the government, the duly elected government, meaning Joe Biden, uh, of the United States. Do you think Trump is not giving aid and comfort to these people as he calls them hostages, as he promises them uh, to be released? And those people who say, well, you know, Trump was not convicted of insurrection. The Confederates were not convicted of insurrection either. Nobody was convicted of, uh, uh, you know, uh, of insurrection and prohibited from office. They were just prohibited from office. And is Trump an officer of the United States who took an oath to defend the Constitution? Come on. So what, the, and, and I'm not expecting anything other than from the Supreme Court, other than striking this down. But you know what else this strikes down? the hypocrisy of originalism. Because it's clear, and textualism. It's clear what that text says. It's n Don't believe these people say it's ambiguous. It's not ambiguous. It's clear. The text is there. 
And in terms of history and tradition, they went back, uh, you know, to the 1600s to overturn Roe versus Wade. There's no history and tradition of abortion in this country. Well, history and tradition was this. Those people who engaged in insurrection or gave them aid and comfort, comfort were barred from taking public office. And, you know, can we take a look at that again, that uh, 14th Amendment? Is that possible? Because it does state in that amendment specifically that the power to, wait a second, the power to overturn this, to remove such disability, lies in Congress. Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. It doesn't say the Supreme Court should do it. No, it says Congress should do it, okay? So what should happen is, yeah, you want, you want to overturn this, uh, this idea that he struck from the ballots? Well, send it back to Congress. Run it up the flagpole. See if two-thirds will vote to allow Trump to run. Okay, enough of that. Um, Oh, and one more thing. The Attorney General of Missouri, Jay Ashcroft, uh, oh, you remember that name? His, his dad, John Ashcroft, the, the, the big aficionado of torture during the uh, Bush administration when he was the AG for the federal government. His son, Jay Ashcroft, is the Attorney General of Missouri, and he says, if they strike Trump from the ballot, I'm going to strike Biden from the Missouri ballot. For what reason? Oh, immigration. <laughs> no, there's no law that says you can strike somebody off of the ballot for immigration. They don't care. Don't you get it? J.D. Vance said if the Supreme Court comes down with something to restrict Trump, well, have Trump just say to the court, all right, you've made your decision, now enforce it. I mean, they don't care about the law. And originalism is a sham. It's a way for them to get everything they want. Because if, if the Constitution or textualism, if the text was clear and plain, you wouldn't need somebody to interpret it. And I do recommend this book, Worse Than Nothing, The Dangerous Fallacy of Originalism. And the man who wrote it is the dean of the Berkeley Law School. And you should read that. You know, there are like six ways to interpret the Constitution. But because of the Federalist Society, it's only textualism, history, and tradition. Yeah, we're going to be locked into the uh, 18th and 19th centuries in this country forever. All right, so enough about the uh, 14th Amendment. Uh, I was uh, looking back and thinking about something uh, with Americans, and uh, I, f I found a clip from 1988. Um, and I'll show you in a moment why it's so important. Gary Hart was the leading Democratic candidate for the presidency, a, a, an experienced, intelligent, astute. He probably could have been one of the best presidents uh, of, the, uh, of the late 20th century, at least. 
Um, but then Donna Rice happened, and this was on the cover of People magazine. All right, so he had a girlfriend. <coughs> he was guilty of adultery. And he was finished, as it says, the brainy Florida beauty who brought down the candidate. All right, a guy who would have been one of the best. And everybody was distracted about that, but you forget what happened at the same time. Iran-Contra and the Iran-Contra hearings, those were, that was a serious breach of American law. And very few people paid any kind of penalty for it. That was lawlessness. And Ronald Reagan lied to the American people and admitted that he lied or confessed to a failing memory, perhaps the onset of his Alzheimer's that eventually took his life. Because he went on television and he said, I know I told you that I didn't know anything about this Iran-Contra, but now it appears that I did even though I told you that I didn't. <laughs> well, say the L word. It was a lie. Or perhaps it was, as I said, um, his failing memory, uh, just beginning to succumb to Alzheimer's. But nobody was paying attention to Iran-Contra. I mean, it was on TV all the time. Nobody cared about it. It was all about Donna Rice and... Uh, Gary Hart and Tom Brokaw appeared on my show with me and we discussed this idea that people were so engaged with the Donna Rice, Gary Condit, uh, Gary Condit, that was a later one, Gary Hart story that they completely ignored, or not completely, but generally ignored the Iran-Contra scandal. Here, here is a clip from that show. Frustrating to you, though, to have the American public not, let's say, uh, not, not be inspired by what you consider an important news story. I came out here before the show and I asked people, how many people knew who Donna Rice was? And show them how many people knew who Donna Rice was. Oh, so many people. She's on the cover of People magazine. I asked them who Bud McFarlane was. And people had heard the name. But there was, I should point them out so you can get a star. Would you stand up, please? You're going to get a good report card on this show. This young man was one of the few out here who knew that Bud McFarlane was national security advisor at one time. Now, it seems to me that the whole Iran-Contra scandal is very important to our country, and yet it hasn't seemed to capture the imagination or the spirit of the American people or the outrage of the American people in the same way that the Gary Hart story did. And it never will. I mean, you, how, how can General Secord and Ronald Reagan and Contras possibly compete with Bimini, Monkey Business, and Donna Rice? Well, I mean, it's just not. That's going why to you had to bring Fawn Hall in. I mean, it's just Fawn Hall is, is probably the most uh, after Oliver. Listen, North. she helped the story. There's no question about it. I mean, what the story needed was a little sex appeal, and Fawn Hall was able to provide that. And today, people don't understand the danger to American democracy. Uh, you look at the, the, all the polls with the Republicans who think, one-third of them think the FBI was behind January 6th. Uh, a majority of them don't think it was an insurrection or a plan to change the government of the United States. Uh, 
No, instead, we're sitting here watching the antics of Donald Trump every day saying something outrageous. And yeah, it gets our attention. But in 1988, it was this picture almost singularly that prevented Gary Hart from becoming the Democratic candidate for the presidency of the United States. Boy, today, today we have a presidential candidate who proudly proclaims that he grabs women by the pussy. 22 women have say they were sexually assaulted by him. He had sex with a porn star. He was a peeping Tom on teenage girls who were in a beauty pageant. He looked up at the skirt of a 12-year-old girl on an escalator and said, I'll be dating her in a few years. And none of that matters. That's what we call American progress. Thanks for joining me today. I do appreciate it. And I wish you all the best for this new year of 2024. Take care.